Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and a special feature brought to us by our friend, my co-pilot for the Week in Sports Cars podcast, Graham Goodwin, speaking with two men that we definitely have a great affinity for who've announced they will be retiring this weekend. Eight hours of competition in Bahrain will draw a close to Anthony Davidson's long, beautiful career, one that has spanned sports cars, Formula One, uh, one of the great operators, also now one of the great television commentators. He will indeed, in the LMP2 class, bid farewell to his driving career this weekend. So Graham sat down with Ant for a good long, quite interesting conversation, a little bit more than 20, 25 minutes or so. And then his former Toyota teammate, Kazuki Nakajima, both men world champions, Kazuki with three Lamar wins as well. Kazuki has said, it's time. So he will be completing his final race with Toyota Gazoo racing this weekend. So Kaz bidding farewell, Ant bidding farewell. Graham sat down with both. Thought that you might enjoy these. So take a listen. They deserve all of our respect and appreciation. Really, truly fearsome competitors inside their cars. Great motivators within their teams. Also great characters in the paddock. So I hope that while they're driving time might be coming to an end the final stint is here i'm hoping that we do not miss them entirely from future sports car paddocks and wherever else they might land give us the gift of their personalities and stories for years to come so let's get going with ant first as he was the first to announce his retirement followed by kaz about 24 hours later let's get going with ant first all this brought to you by cooper tires the justice brothers in torontomotorsports.com. Well, I think it's fair to say it was actually quite an emotional press conference, Ant Davidson. And you were the first of what's proved to be two world champions that has announced they're stepping away uh, with Kaz, uh, a teammate of yours, of course, back in the day. Tell us a little bit about the decision. Tell us a little bit about the journey. Tell us a little bit about what happens next. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's been a, an incredible journey. Um, yeah, first of all, I want to thank everyone that's been involved in my career since day one. Um, you know, they all know who they are. It's starting with my with my family, obviously, you know, my father that uh, got me into racing in the first place. And um, yeah, the people you meet along the way, everyone has a place and an influence on your decisions you make as a driver and where you end up driving and how your performance is when you're driving. They all know who they are. And, um, yeah, I just want to say a, a huge thank you to, to everyone that's been involved along this uh, incredible journey that feels quite long but somehow comes around very quickly. And I can't believe I'm sitting here right now talking about me stepping away from driving. I, honestly, I don't think it's fully sunken in yet. But, um, yeah, I think it might be quite an emotional time uh, by the end of the, the eight hours this weekend in Bahrain. But, you know, in, in terms of going forward, I really hope that I can spend more time at home. I know it's only been six weekends this year away uh, with WEC uh, on top of quite a busy calendar year with the F1 Skywork that I do, uh, which has been around was it 10 or 11 races this year with them. But it all adds up. And um, I think every little bit of, of time you can have at home with a growing family is is important. And I feel like I've missed out on so much. Um, you know, we're, we're an active family. We, we like to get out and, you know, explore and have fun. And, and I am a real family man. 
Um, I know it's not for everybody. That kind of confuses me, but I am a family man. I really do genuinely want to be at home more with them. And um, uh, I don't enjoy leaving the house and leaving them behind. I want to be at home always. And uh, hopefully that frees up some more time and I can, I've promised them that I'll be around more. So uh, I hope I can, I can be there for them. Um, That's a great reason. It's yeah. A great reason. And, it's- and you know what? I think, I think it was COVID and lockdown, particularly lockdown, that made me reassess what I want from life. And I think I'm not alone in that. You're not, I can say that right now, it's been a, a common theme, particularly yeah. with people who've been traveling through that. I think it's a, it's, it's a fair assumption. Let's talk about the career. Um, so many times we sit down with drivers who are in a not dissimilar situation as yourself where their career is coming to, a, uh, to an end and we have to talk about the fact they never got to where they would like to have been. You did race in Formula One, albeit not for as long as you and I think many would have liked, but you did make it. You made the grade. Um, and then after that, and you just very eloquently said in the press conference now that, that, that horrible low of it finishing in Formula One, and then the phone stops ringing for a while, but then it came back and we saw you with ProDrive, we then with Peugeot, then with Toyota, now with a second win with LMP2 and showing that you've not lost any of that speed. And it does seem to me that you found a new you, that you did find it was fun. You enjoyed it. You got back some of that. It was a little less intense, perhaps, than what you've been involved with before. Would that be fair? And when did that start? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're young, you're so hungry for just being in the car, driving anything. You don't care that much about the money. You've got no commitments other than racing. And you just want to drive the best cars you can in the highest level, the highest competition. And I was absolutely blessed and lucky enough to have got to Formula One without huge backing at all and hardly any backing I mean I had a manager that supplied the the cash to get through Formula Ford and Formula 3 and then I was on my way in in Formula 1 um, which with a contract that I'd signed with him I I ended up paying everything back Um, that was the deal and and that's how it was for me back then I didn't come I don't come from a family with money and um, so I'm immensely proud looking back on it now that the fact I got into Formula 1 Little me on from Hemel Hempstead on talent, and it, it's an absolute rarity. And I, I'm really proud of the job I did. I had the speed, you know. I, I showed that many a time in in the free practice sessions I had in 2004 and 2006 when I was with BAR and Honda. And um, and in a way, it was those performances that gave me the drive of Super Aguri, and it was. It was all down to that. And you know, they were great cars to drive. The, the normally aspirated V10, although we had groove tyres, that wasn't so great. But they were brilliant beasts of cars to drive. And again, I feel I feel really privileged to have driven machinery like that in my time, and and to really wring its neck and get the best, squeeze the best performance out of it. And I was young and keen. I remember how I felt back then. Um, you know, great memories. And qualifying was always a, a speciality of mine. And, and to come away from the season in my rookie year, uh, 2007, of the whole season I did, where to come out 10-7 ahead of Takuma Sato was in qualifying was really a great achievement because he, he was no slouch when it came to qualifying himself. Isn't. Still not, I know, and he's older than me. So, um, you know, he, he taught me a lot and um, it was great to be his teammate in Formula 3 and Formula 1. But, you know, I, I had such energy and, and, and love for the sport 
back then and um and then it all came crashing down um like i said in the press conference and you you left with nothing and you don't know where to turn you've spent your whole existence since you can remember gunning to get into formula one it feels like blinkered Yeah. yeah it's a one way road blinkered tunnel vision to get to formula one and i got there and you were doing it and you were doing well and although it wasn't stable because you were with a a a low-ranking team with all due respect and then they ran out of money not even halfway through the second season where you just felt like you were finding your feet and getting more confidence because i was never the most naturally confident of drivers and you know some drivers are some drivers aren't and it's the drivers that aren't that in a way, are kind of like the most exciting because they're the workers. They're the ones that chip away. And when they get that confidence, so like Orlando Norris, for example, they get that confidence and they're unstoppable. Yeah. And that's, I'm more from that kind of mold. And, and to jump, to dive into Formula One in that immensely ferocious kind of cocksure environment was not me. Yeah. And I had to convince myself that I was good enough through performance and I was getting there and then it all stopped and, and you're left with nothing and yeah, the phone goes silent and you don't know what to do with your life. You're, you're a young, you know, in mid-twenties. Yeah. You haven't really earned that much by that point and you've got nothing and there's nothing on the table and, you know, you just don't know what to do yet. So that is the reality of what it's like for young drivers out there. We'll talk in a moment about the journey into and through sports cars at the very highest level. Before that, I did want to say a word or two or hear from you, a word or two about the link you've still got with Formula One. Um, you and I have spoken more than mm. once about the analysis you bring to Sky's F1 coverage. Um, thinking outside the sports car bubble, you really do add something to it. You clearly enjoy it and you're clearly very good at it. You're going to carry on, I presume. Yeah, yeah. I've just signed a longer term deal with them, actually. And um, you know, I love the two jobs I have, the Sky and the Mercedes. They, they dovetail very nicely together. I you know, I, I, I remain unbiased when I'm talking about Mercedes at Sky, but then when I'm at Mercedes, it's just, I'm, I'm deeply focused on pulling on all of my experience from the good old days of real track testing and applying that into the simulator. And I think I am quite a rarity in that I really love driving the simulator. I love being still involved with Formula One, let alone with, um, you know, one of the best, if not the best team in Formula One currently. And, without question you know seven time world champions in a row it's 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 a phenomenal team to be part of even in a in a very little way um but i use that experience to to structure my day properly and to understand what the engineers are trying to achieve from the day i invest myself in their program in their thought processes i don't just drive it i i help to drive the program not just the sim and so yeah i i I really feel deeply invested in that and um and and a lot of pride because i did back in my testing days and i'm a selfless person i don't mind setting up a car for somebody else to drive um which i think moving on to sports cars put me in very good stead because it's that selflessness you need to become a great trio or duo of drivers and just to put your ego aside to get the best out of the others around you because there's no room in sports cars for ego absolutely right i mean and that seemed to go relatively quickly so oddly, oddly enough there was a moment i was at uh, jassin 
Milan and spotted in their museum. Hmm. There was a Honda Civic with your name on the side, which I'd completely forgotten. You, you raced a touring car once. Yeah, I, I did. I raced that car. That was another good memory uh, from my racing career. Is it um, came through Honda, of course, when I was there test driving, and they, I think they were, in a way, they had seen the benefits of or wanted to push me into racing anything, anywhere, than just being a dedicated test driver. Yeah, I was quite happy to do the testing. Um, even though I came through as an eight-year-old kid racing weekend in, weekend out that level of competition I, you know I loved it I loved the wheel-to-wheel battles I was always a pretty ferocious racer when the visor was down and um but once I found testing I just found this it, it, it captivated me absolutely I found my niche and I loved the methodical process of testing a component whatever item it was using that as a baseline then testing an option against that baseline and then coming back to the baseline and doing a, pr- a back-to-back as they call it and then testing another option and, that, and I just found it I just found it fascinating is, um, is it that process that gave you the readily apparent communication skills you've got? I think it was or no actually I think it was I was, I was always a good communicator in, and in terms of describing what I was feeling mm-hmm. and I think that really helped the testing team and then obviously I could hone that as I got older and learnt more um, and they were difficult times because you didn't have simulators back then in the early days of Formula 1 and, and this was all real world testing mm-hmm. real world understanding of what the engineers were trying to do and, and you couldn't put that into practice away from the racetrack so and I just found it I found it fascinating tyres as well you know we were in the middle of a tyre wall with Michelin and Bridgestone and they were throwing everything at it financially in terms of personnel as well and I learned so much about tyres I don't think the the young drivers today necessarily learn about um, it's a fascinating aspect of it one of the last times I sat down and had a conversation like this it was with Ollie Gavin right 10 years of test driver in Formula 1 I had no idea mm-hmm. there um, he was yeah. took real pride in the things that were achieved in that period of time with the team he was attached with and there you go there's, there's you and he went on to be a great you know, a, 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 the benchmark GT driver in sports yeah. cars, and I'm sure if he had had the chance to be in in, in LMP1 or whatever it was yeah. in those times, he he would have uh, he would have flourished as well. But too tall, freakishly tall, I think we could say. Oh yeah, oh yeah, way too tall. I'm, yeah, I mean, not comparing to a normal driver, a normal height like myself, he's way too tall. <laughs> so then sports cars. So if I'm right, Pro Drive was first. Yes. So, so how did all of that happen? That's presumably through the network. So yes. Yeah, it's like chopping and changing topics a little bit. So the Honda Civic Drive came because the guys at Honda and the race team thought they they were kind of thinking ahead of where I was. I was stuck in the test drive role. They wanted me to race more, probably yeah. racecraft. Um, and I had completely and stupidly <laughs> neglected that. And for six years or five or six years, I didn't race anything. And, then it was and, and I mean, I lost my edge. I really lost my edge since Formula 3 back in 2001. The next proper chance I had to get stuck into a racing season was 2007. Wow. Wow. So, and I, I really, I think people say, do you have any regrets from your racing? Yes, I do. That's like, the yeah. only one. It's not racing. Well, and I, I would say to any young driver coming up now, you have to be racing. You have to be holding the steering wheel, 
fighting other cars. You can't just be, it's not enough to be testing and, and swanning around in the hospitality in the F1 paddocks wearing the shirt, standing at the back look, the wearing your glasses and the headphones. It's not, trust me, it's not enough. Don't do that very, you know, do that. But please go and race somewhere else. Put your ego aside and go and race in anything, anywhere to keep yourself sharp. That would be my advice to my younger self. Excellent yeah. stuff. So sports cars. GT first, oddly yeah. enough, from there. So, I mean, so who made the call? Where, where did that call come from? But it was born out of the same thought process, I should imagine, because it was Honda. And then David Richards came along. That was ProDrive. So before it was Honda. And I think maybe it's from a marketing perspective. I still don't really know to this day that the, the Jazz Motorsport um, Civic at Macau. But the ProDrive connection obviously came through David Richards. Um, there's another guy there called Hugh Chambers. Uh, and he was very keen for me to, 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 to race, to, to drive. He was a, a carter himself and he, he wanted me to race. And, and yeah, you know, I, th- I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. Le Mans, yeah, I've heard about that race. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know much about sports cars. Um, what's this GT thing? All right, it's a Ferrari. Wow, that's quite cool. Pro Drive, yeah, I've heard of them. Obviously, through David Richards. Uh, didn't they do rallying? Yeah, they do rally. Uh, I really did. I, like I say, I was so blinkered on Formula it's One. I didn't, know anything. I didn't know anything else. So it's the 550 so, mile now, right? Yeah. So I jumped in this thing and... It's not a Formula One car. And I was shot down in flames. I remember um, when I got to the first race, well, it was at Le Mans, and I was asked, how does the car feel? From all of the diehard sports car journalists, you know, like yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I basically, I came out and said the wrong things. Heavy. I said the honest thing. Heavy. I said, it feels a bit like a tank. It's really <laughs> heavy. It's, I mean, it, I'm lost in this thing. I, I'm, I don't know how to drive it. It's really slow compared to a Formula 1 car. And it was. They are. But honestly speaking, they are. I just, the sports car world didn't like what I said. Um, and yeah, so of course, when it didn't end that well, yeah, I was shot down in flames and um, in a way rightly so but I was just a young kid honestly speaking you know heart on the sleeve stuff and Ask and I still just wanted to do Formula 1 but I was there doing Le Mans I liked it and I met um, you know great teammates um, you know the likes of Darren Turner for example and, and I sorry yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah sorry did I say Darren Turner no I met someone else surely <laughs> um, and, and, and the one thing I did learn from sports cars not that time was not just they're really hard to drive and the competition is so much higher than any f1 hopeful would ever care to think about like i was at the time tough to win they are really tough to tough cars to drive and the people that drive them are basically like your lewis hamilton's in your max verstappen's but in a sports car yeah and they really are um and just because you get to formula one through that path and all the doors open for you at the right time doesn't necessarily mean you can jump into any other category out there and be God's gift to racing and go and destroy the competition. Nobody tells you that when you're on the way up and you're blinkered looking at Formula 1. And it's all about you. And it's all about you. Um, Nobody tells you that. Nobody prepares you for that. So it was two years with the 550? I did, yeah. Two years with them. I think I did about six races all in all because I came back after Le Mans. That was 2003 and I did some more races in 2004, maybe actually at the tail end of 2003 and I did some really cool races like Petit Le Mans and um, Sebring 
and we had some good results. We yeah. finished on the podium yeah. in both those races. And I got to share the car with some... I was getting into it more at that point. You know, Jan Magnussen, uh, Peter Cox, Darren Turner. Yeah, had these, these great legends of the, of, of, of the sport back then um, in, in, in these kind of cars. And man, I learned a lot. Thomas Enger, another one. Um, I learned so much from them. And then I put it aside to just focus on Formula One. Um, which I did for the 2004, 5, 6, all the way through to the end of, or middle of 2008. And then it was back with ProDrive again. Then it was back with ProDrive, and you're right, yeah, uh, in, in the Lola Aston Martin, uh, again with, with Darren Turner, and I shared the car this time with uh, Jos Verstappen, and I remember Jos telling me about his son, Max, who's 11 years old, and I'd be like, oh, hi, Max, yeah, yeah, nice to meet you, yeah, maybe one day, you know, day might you emulate your father and be in Formula One, and you, 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 might, you might be somebody, who knows, but, you know, you shake his hand, and yeah, nice to meet you, young, young lad, young and uh, yeah, wish you all the best. And <laughs> does, he, does he remember that? <laughs> I don't know, probably not. Um, but that was, funny times. That was a car, amazing car. I mean, beautiful, an absolute beautiful. favourite. Sounded beautiful, looked beautiful, drove beautiful, and I loved it. Wasn't as fast as it needed to be. It wasn't as fast as a Peugeot, no, yeah. but I, it's funny, I stepped into that car, and I turned my first couple of laps around uh, Le Mans. I, I did a shakedown somewhere, I, can't, I honestly can't remember, but I turned the first few laps around Le Mans, and suddenly my world changed. Honestly, my world changed because at that moment I knew without Formula One in my life I would be I would be fine because that car was the closest thing to a Formula One car that I'd ever driven. Yep. And I was I was like a cat with two tails. I was so happy uh, that there was another category out there that suited my style. Yep. I still had this great camaraderie experience that I'd shared in the GT car, but honestly speaking, I didn't like the GT car. I still don't. I, I, it's not, my style doesn't work in them. It, it, I've grown up, basically the more grip I have, the better I am as a driver. Okay. Yeah. Always has been. Yeah. Um, I, I think basically whatever felt like karting in, in, the, in the top end European and world championship level, whatever I could find in my career after those moments, I always performed better. Yeah. I don't know why, but I did. And when I jumped in the GT car, this big movement and heavy car and lots of inertia, you know, lots of overslip of the tires and stuff. I, it, I just, I never worked it out. I don't think I ever will. But and I jumped in the, in the LMP1 and it just clicked. But isn't that just like, well, come on, talk briefly about Toto. Some awesome drivers drove those cars, but could never really get their head around them. The it's weirdest just, thing was... Thomas Enger yep. destroyed me in the GT Ferrari. Yep. Quite happy to admit that. Yep. Complete reversal in, in, in the LMP1 Lola Aston Martin. Good Same day. track, just a different car, completely different outcome. Yeah. And I wasn't even really trying. Driving I was I was driving. Yeah. I, I was braking early. I remember I was you know lifting, coasting, saving mid of fuel, and just loving driving that car. And it 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 just it just clicked. It just worked. And I was so happy. So this is what I want to do. But it was only for one race. Yep. And they didn't have the biggest of budgets. Um, and, you know, the opportunity didn't really arise again. But I knew I had to try any way to get into LMP1 once Super Guri folded. And um, 
and I was left without a drive in Formula One. I knew, I just knew that's what I wanted to do. So when the time came to, I think I had a test in the 908 Peugeot at Paul Ricard and did really well again. And uh, they, they were they were suitably impressed. And um, so I was on their radar. And when the day came to sit down with Olivier Canel at the time, I flew to Paris, uh, paid for the flight myself, jumped in a taxi, drove to the place he said where to meet, the restaurant, I think we were a cafe we met. And he was there with another guy called Sven Smeets. And I sat down and I could say with absolute conviction, I will... I will, with or without you, be in LMP1 mm-hmm. at some point, yep. and I will win Le Mans, because that's what I want to do. I know this is what I want to do. So that driver come back? The driver had come back. I knew I had this... The, the tunnel vision focus I had in Formula 1 had completely shifted to LMP1. And it and was like this... Gr- and we can be grateful for that. And, and, and it so. wasn't a world championship back then as well. People forget. So, um, you know, I... It, it, I saw drivers like Alan McNish. I wanted to be there with them. I saw Audi were there and Peugeot. I wanted to be involved with that. And, you know, thank my lucky stars. I obviously said all the right things in that interview. And um, and the rest is history. First first race with Peugeot was a big one. It was. and I, successful. I, I had been to Sebring before, like I said, in the Ferrari and, uh, and finished on the podium in that. But it was a different story arriving, rocking up in that Peugeot 908 on that tiny, bumpy track in this beast of a car and what a car and people often ask me what car if you could choose any that you'd jump into in a blink of an eye and it would be that car it'd be the Peugeot 908 V12 well wait, I was privileged to be sitting and listening uh, Sebring when we were there with MSR and WC you sat down with Marshall Pruitt it's a Facebook podcast with a number of the members of that squad, and that was one hell of a uh, tail-telling session. So we're not going to get into that again. No, no, no. But, but basically, turned up car. and won it. Yeah, turned up and won it. And you know, and I'd I'd been in a very low place without a, a professional drive for about a year, year and a bit, year and a half, not knowing what I was going to do with yeah. for the rest of my career, and didn't have a drive at all. And then that came up, and it was this whirlwind experience. Arrived in Sebring and won the twelve hours of Sebring. It was amazing, and um, yeah, we, we moved on from there. And what happened to Peugeot happened, and then I luckily found Toyota and um, went on to win a world championship with them. Learned so much, and really enjoyed driving such great machinery at Toyota. You know, the, the best, the fastest LMP ones there ever were. And, um, you know, that yeah, car yeah. still holds the lap, ultimate lap record around Le Mans. And, Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant cars, great technology. And it was that technology, with it being hybrid, that taught me so much about the current generation in Formula 1. It's very similar technology, and, and, and I can pull on that experience to then deliver that. And analyse. And analyse, yes, exactly. And you were in that Formula 1 programme. A similar conversation with Kaz Nakajima less than an hour ago, at a time when... Toyota have always said it's an R&D project. It's not a marketing project, it's an R&D project. And you could see that, the rapid mm. way in which that technology developed. And that must have put a lot of demands on you to adapt your style to cars that clearly were in development throughout that period of time. You know, we, you know, we had these, uh, I, I can recall sitting down with Alex Wirtz after he came back and did a test in the car after being away for 18 months. And he said, well, you just have to reprogram your brain because this, you know the acuity that you need is so intense. Mm. Challenging things to get very different. Out of. Very different from the Peugeot. It was just this 
big block V12 monster of a diesel engine. <laughs> yes, it was turbo, turbo, but uh, it had no hybrid, and um, so that was an absolute. It, it felt like jumping in a in a in a honestly an alien piece of technology. The Toyota, this super capacitor. Uh, you know, in the, ultimately ended up a, a, a lithium-ion battery cell with four-wheel drive, but only when it was boosting the energy to the front wheels. And you had still a combustion engine working in unison with that. I mean, it was a fly-by-wire braking system that you could tune corner by corner. And it, honestly, it was really pulled on on on, on all of the attributes you needed uh, and all of your brain capacity to understand this thing. Very different machine and but we we got to know and love it and um and and what a car it was so we we honed it to perfection that tso 50 or the 40 into the 50 over the years and um always loved driving that car um until until the very last moment and quite fittingly my last memory of that car is driving it around thrashing around le mans in 2018 as i was then their reserve driver um, that's the last memory I have of driving that car and I made sure I gave it a proper ragging <laughs> and, uh, and ended up on top of the timesheets almost as like a, you know, a final salute to, uh, to, the, to the guys there in the team. You end your career as a professional race driver but you'll end it with a title that stays with you forever and that is world champion. You are an FIA driver's world champion. What does that mean to you? It means, honestly, it means everything in terms of a professional sense. In, in, in racing, it's. I know I didn't make it in Formula One, didn't even score a point. Um, but to hang your helmet up at the end of it all, after 34 years of turning a steering wheel, to hang your helmet up and say, I was an FIA world champion. I don't really care that I didn't win Le Mans. I don't care that I didn't score points in Formula One. Yes, you would have wanted more. Everyone always natural to want more. But to walk away, to retire, and I knew it at the time when I won that world championship, how much it means not just to the journalists out there like yourself and, and, and your own kind of self-PR. It's just deep down inside knowing it was, it was all worth it. It yeah. was all not, you know, obviously, you know, I've earned well from it. But honestly, that's, that's really why we do it is to get to the end of it all and go, I achieved something. And I had good results. You know, I won the Formula Ford Festival and, and the Poe Grand Prix in, in Formula 3. And, uh, but to win an FIA World Championship in anything, yeah. in anything, is very hard. It's an and it's an exclusive club, club to be in. So I, I treasure it um, you know, with, with immense pride. And I only have a few... I'm not a show-off. Uh, I don't have a big office with a big trophy cabinet and all my helmets on shot. I'm not like that, but I have just a select few trophies on show. One of them is the, uh, the BRDC young driver award, uh, that I won. The other one is the miniature version of the, um, tourist trophy, yep. uh, which I won twice. And the other one is my FIA world championship 2014 season. And that's where we're going to leave it at world champion. And Davidson, we're going to miss you in the WEC paddock. I'm sure your family are going to be delighted to be seeing you. Oh, it's the first time I've become emotional. Ah, <laughs> you got me, but you got me. <laughs> I'll say on behalf of all of us, and that means not just your teams, not just 
um, the guys who watch this and listen to this, but actually all of us in the press room as well. Thanks for just being you. It's been it's been a journey. Enjoy the last. It really has. Thank you so much. In the blisteringly hot Bahrain paddock with, well, a legend of sports car racing, Kazuki Nakajima. We heard just a couple of days ago that you're going to be taking a step away from your driving role with Toto Kazoo Racing. Let me take a bit of time before we say au revoir to one of our world champions to talk a bit about the journey. Mm-hmm. You've been part of this team effort from yep. the very start, mm-hmm. the development year that was supposed to be a development year but ended up being a racing year. Yeah. And you're the only guy, I think, together with Seb, that has raced every iteration of the team's journey through TSO 30 to the GR of 10. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the highs. A world championship, three Le Mans wins, and we'll, we'll get into the low that everybody, right, I'm yeah. sure you do remember. <laughs> that first Le Mans win after what was a very, very difficult previous year. Tell me a little bit about the emotions of that. Yeah, uh, obviously, emotion was so high. And uh, yeah, we were just uh, fighting for a long time to get this uh, victory, which uh, took us uh, seven years. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. So it was the yep. seventh time yep. uh, of our challenge. So it took very long time, and uh, I'm sure we will talk through later. But uh, we went through a lot of difficult moments, difficult uh, situations. So yeah, of course the emotion was so high, and I just felt so relieved. I think together with all the other member of the team. It's always been a very high-functioning team, even 2012 with the car that wasn't designed as a race car. You filled the void that Peugeot had left with that late decision, Mm -hmm. came in, were competitive immediately. And one of the other things I wanted to ask is about, Toyota have always been very clear that this was principally an R&D project. And you have lived through that journey of supercapacitors through to the later cars. Tell us a little bit about how that progress felt from a driver's point of view that the I guess that kind of the anybody that's driven anything more than one generation of hybrid road car will know that things are coming a long way mm. was it like that only accelerated for LMP1 well yeah I mean in the beginning it was uh, a big challenge because it was the first time uh, almost ever for everyone uh, to make the, the proper hybrid uh, racing car and uh, yeah, we started with a lot of uh, difficulties with the control system, the systems, and uh, also the brake brake system uh, together with the hybrid was very difficult. So we had a lot of issues in the testing, which uh, basically stopped us to cover a lot of my- mileage. So that was a difficulty, uh, especially for the first season. But, uh, and also, yeah, speaking about the hybrid system, we started with the the supercapacitor uh, with only having the the electric motor on the rear. And then for the next generation, we started to have uh, basically the front wheel, I mean, four wheel drive together with front motor, uh, with the battery and things like that. So every uh, change was so big and uh, we made uh, so many big steps in terms of development development and also the lap time and if you I think look through the lap time of uh, Le Mans uh, year by year I think the 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 step uh, is very obvious and uh, I was even though I was the part of the the team I was every year I was still 
amazed uh, how much step uh, we could could make and uh, yeah so I think it really showed that uh, the racing uh, field uh, is really uh, one of the best place to make a development uh, uh, push further. It's a true laboratory. I really. think so it is yeah. The other question was about that that progression of technology I can recall sitting with Alec Fertz after he stepped in to do the prologue test having been out of the car for 18 months and telling us it was trying to get his brain to catch up with the level of acuity what you needed to do as a driver mm-hmm. and then we've, we've used the kind of almost fighter pilot levels of needing to manage systems did that get easier as the systems became more highly developed yeah it got uh, a lot easier in the end uh, in the beginning uh, the car was uh, the real like wild dog, wild dog. Uh, so it was very difficult to handle and uh, we had to yeah, uh, give a lot of our feedback uh, to make everything smoother and also user friendly and this uh, especially Alex was pushing a lot and uh, I think they uh, together with us we made a good step and uh, in the end uh, although the car was going so much faster than the, the car in the beginning the drivability and uh, also the feeling in the car was a lot smoother and uh, a lot easier to drive so this uh, also had a, made a big big change from the beginning yeah. There's a bit of a sadness I guess that at the point at which TSO 50 was at the peak of its powers and it is without doubt, history mm. will tell the fastest sports racing car ever but the competition had melted away, is that a source of regret at the end of that programme? Yeah, it was uh, sad to see all the other manufacturers like Porsche and Audi uh, was leaving uh, because we thought, uh, you know, the the time with the hybrid racing car was really coming to the top and uh, the performance of the car was amazing at that time. So, yeah, uh, it was a bit sad, but uh, also we are facing, you know, the changing uh, era of everything about the... Uh, not only about motor racing, but uh, basically speaking about the cars and the environment, everything is changing so quickly. So I can understand uh, the decision as well. And also, maybe us, uh, also we have to understand the situation and make things going better. So uh, it was sad, but uh, at the same time, I really appreciate uh, a lot. Uh, I mean, thank a lot uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing and uh, especially our uh, boss uh, Morizo-san who is uh, like Akio Toyota uh, the president because yeah, without their help I think we couldn't uh, continue uh, our project such a long time uh, I mean yeah if you see the other manufacturer is leaving maybe it's also normal for them to say okay then now it's time for them to stop but uh, they decided to continue and uh, this basically allows us to to build up uh, so much uh, history and uh, the legend in WEC for last uh, four years so it has been a massive team effort how big a part of i guess the word would be recovery from astonishing moment at the end of Le Mans how big a part of that recovery was this team around you what, that, what do you mean? Well, the end of that Le Mans race mm-hmm. when you sat on that start finish line and it yeah, all went yeah, on. Ah, okay, yeah. I mean, was that. How did the team help you to deal with what. I, 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 one of the most amazing moments in world motorsport? Yeah, it was a very hard time for everyone. So I think 
as whole team, including myself, we just uh, drove over together those uh, sad moments. And uh, yeah, uh, but at the same time, I think this, you know, uh, what happened in 16 uh, was kind of a, the key point uh, for us to build up even stronger team. And uh, I think it changed our mind a lot. Uh, so in a way, I mean, I can say this because we finally won it afterwards. But uh, yeah, in a way, I think what happened in 16 was uh, it was sad, but also a very important moment for us. Zuki, as we say, kind of farewell from full-time role as a driver in the paddock. Remains to just say, you'll always be a Le Mans winner, a three times Le Mans winner. But most of all, you will always be referred to as a world champion. Magnificent career. We'll be very sorry to see you go. Thank you very much.